This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. All right, so my mom has breaking news for us that uh, my sister has just given birth to her son. So, so they live up in Fairbanks, Alaska. So, uh, so yeah, so her, they named him Little Mikey. So there's, uh, <laughs> so that's a, that's 14 grandchildren for mom and dad there. So that's that's pretty good. Huh? Doing pretty good, so I'm sure we'll get the stats, get all the deets on that later, you know what I mean? <laughs> I try to sound cool, then it just backfires some. Anyway, well, uh, that's exciting, but we're going to get into the Word tonight. So we have been in this series for a while called The Son of Jesse. And what we mean by the Son of Jesse is we're talking about King David. The Bible calls him the son of Jesse because obviously that was his father's name. And it says something very unique and specific about David that is not written about anybody else. And most of you know what that is. But in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, the Bible says, God said, I have found David, the son of Jesse. He's a man after my own heart. He's a man after my own heart. And it doesn't say that about anybody else in Scripture. And so I'm wondering, there's a lot of really great guys in the Bible. I mean, great, excellent people that I believe were men after God's own heart. But only one guy did God write, this is a man after my own heart. And as we've seen, it's interesting because David was not a perfect man. David committed adultery and he also was an accomplice to murder. We know that much because he had Uriah the Hittite killed and he had him deliver his own death letter. And so David did some bad things, but he confessed it. He didn't try to hide it. When he got called out, he said, all right, guilty. Whatever is coming to me, I deserve it. Whatever punishment is brought upon me, I deserve it and and I'll accept it. And uh, he repented and he didn't do it again. He quit doing it because, as we learned, repent doesn't just mean you say, well, I shouldn't have done that. No, repent says, all right, I was wrong. God, forgive me. People forgive me. And then you quit doing it. You go the other way. That's repentance. And so David was a repentant man. We've seen so many things about it. But tonight what we're talking about is this, is about how David passed on his faith to the next generation. He passed it on to the next generation. So our title tonight is this, The Son of Jesse, Part 6, The Next Generation. And as I wrote that, I was like, man, that sounds like a really great TV series. Like the next, you know, we could call this the next, like that sounds good. I need to send that down to Hollywood and see what they do. But, but anyway, so we're going to look at how David passed on his faith to the next generation because as I'm looking... There's been a lot of great leaders in this world at different times, people that have accomplished great things. But success isn't really that successful if you don't have a successor. You got to leave it to somebody. You got to have somebody that picks it up after you. And so there's been men and women that have done great things and they've been, you know, successful for a few years. But then when they're done, it's over with. They don't leave it to anybody. And I think that any godly man, any godly woman, they want to leave their legacy to somebody else, right? And you parents, do you want your kids to serve the Lord after you? Or would you be content if they just, you know, never went to church again? I'm not okay with that. 
I, when I, when I'm done and old and passed away, I want my kids and my grandkids and their kids to keep serving the Lord and keep going to church. I want them to do this. And in fact, David said this. He said, uh, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So David, he didn't just want to, he, he saw further down the road than that. And it's extremely biblical to leave an inheritance to not only your kids, but to pass it on to the grandkids. Now, yeah, th- that could be talking about finances. That's a great thing. That's biblical. There's nothing wrong with that. That's all true. But even more important than that is leaving a spiritual inheritance and legacy on down the line. It, it's great when I see families. I mean, they can pull out the, you know, the, the, the family photo album. And this is great. Grandma so-and-so. She went to church every Sunday. She taught her kids. I mean, that is pure beauty right there. And so David, he didn't just see, you know, well, if I can have a successful life, if I can build a great big palace, get me a bunch of money and conquer a bunch of different lands, then I will, I will have been a success. David didn't consider himself successful until he knew that his children were going to serve the Lord as well. That's a really big deal. And I believe that that's one of the reasons why God called David a man after his own heart, because David passed it on. And and uh, how many parents are in the house tonight? What, grandparent, grandparent, your kids can be grown. That's fine. So this is a big deal. This is a big deal to me. And as I was on my way over here, I, I grabbed my sermon and, and I looked that. My daughter had gotten a hold of it and just, yeah, it's like, wow, kids, they're the best. I hope I can still read this tonight. So she just smudged this up with all kinds of stuff. So praise God. Then I looked down and there were stains on my pants. You know, the baby drooled on me. Another kid wiped a popsicle on me. And I'm like, wow, praise God. Kids, they're awesome, man. They do stuff to you. Kids will do stuff to you. It's cool. It's really cool. But um, so anyway, David, he was a man after God's own heart. And David had several kids. And in fact, uh, I, I, I found every, uh, every one of his kids' names that's listed in the Bible. There's 19 of them. Do you care to hear this list? All right, here we go. There's some real winners here. We've got Amnon, Chiliab, Absalom, Adonijah, Shephatiah, Ephraim, Shamua, Shobab, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ebhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Jephiah, Elishama, Elidia, Eliphala, and Tamar. These are some real winners here. You got little, uh, the only, the only, like, reasonable name there is Nathan, but anyway, uh, so he's got 19 kids here. You got little Nate Dog right there. He's a good one. But the one that we're going to talk about the most is Solomon. We got the most information on Solomon. And I'll say this, out of all of David's kids, you can read the Bible for yourself. Not all of them turned out perfect. Okay? Um, Absalom did not turn out well. Amnon did not turn out well. Some of his oldest sons, they did. But, 19 kids, David, it was his heart to see his children serve God, and a whole lot of them did turn out really well. And Solomon is the one that we're going to study the most tonight because we've got the most scripture on Solomon. Solomon succeeded his father as the head of the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And and so there's a lot of really godly things that we're going to learn from the life of Solomon that were passed on. By his dad. And this is, this is so important to me. This, this is the biggest thing. And I've told you this, like, I'm fine if I don't die a millionaire. I, I, I can, I'm okay with that. But I'm not okay if I die and my kids don't serve God. I, I'm not okay with that. That's, 
that's the worst thing that could happen to me. And that's not going to happen. My kids are going to serve God. They are going to love the Lord. And they're going to have this same attitude that David had, where he said, better is one day in your courts than a thousand days anywhere else. He says, I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live in the, in the rich life and the houses of the ungodly. He's like, I, I would rather be the church janitor than be a billionaire that doesn't know God. And that's the type of attitude that we're looking for here. So let's go ahead and, and pray here, and we're going to look at some things about what David passed on to his kids and what we need to pass on to our kids. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, so much for bringing us together tonight. We thank you that we have a church that we can worship you in, that we can learn your word in. And, God, I pray tonight that as we are gathered here, you will speak to each person. Lord, you know what we're going through. You know what we need to see, what we need to hear tonight. And I pray that you'll speak to us in a great big way. In Jesus' name, everybody said? And so the first thing that I want to say is this. Number one, and this is huge, David passed on his fear of the Lord. David passed on to his children his fear of the Lord. That's huge. You can't pass that on if you don't have it. You know what I mean? You can't leave something to your children that you don't have. And so it's extremely important that we learn to fear the Lord. And so David passed this on to to his son Solomon. And when you read the Psalms that David wrote, And then you read the books that Solomon wrote. He wrote three books of the Bible. Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. You find this phrase all over David's books and his son's books. Fear of the Lord. Those who fear the Lord will have long life. You know, the fear of the Lord leads to this. And 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 it's crazy that these two guys, they use this phrase all the time. They use it more than every other writer in the Bible combined. And so you can't tell me that David did not teach his son Solomon. You listen here, boy, you will fear God. You will fear the Lord. You will respect God. You will respect his name. There's no way that David didn't teach this to his son. And in fact, some of the Psalms that David wrote and some of the Proverbs that Solomon wrote sound almost identical. I'll show you. I didn't put this on the screen, but you can write these down. Uh, For example, Psalm 111, verse 10, David wrote, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. And then his son Solomon wrote in Proverbs 9, verse 10, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. I mean, come on. The apple didn't fall far from the tree right here. He learned this stuff off of his dad. His dad said, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. And then Solomon goes on to write it himself, that fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. He got this off of his own dad. And so I'm wondering if David thought this was such a big deal, shouldn't this be something that we're starting to look at? And so why did David think that the fear of the Lord was so important? Psalm 112 provides the answer. Psalm 112. So why did David think the fear of the Lord was so important? And so we need to remind ourselves real quick here, and we've said this a lot of times, but what is the fear of the Lord? Well, we need to know that the fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God. Okay, that doesn't mean you're afraid. Well, I fear the Lord, man. He could kill me. Of course I fear. No, that's not what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is having a reverence a respect, an honor for God. 
And when you fear the Lord, it'll change your life. When I studied what the fear of the Lord is, that's changed my life more than any other topic I've ever studied in the Bible. I was raised, obviously, in an amazing Christian home. I've never had a trouble believing that I am saved and that I'm going to heaven. That's never been an issue for me. You know, thank God I've been so secure in that. I've been secure that God wants me blessed and healed and all this stuff. That's never been an issue. But when I really understood and studied what the fear of the Lord is, this one topic has changed my life more than anything that I've personally studied. And maybe you could have been way ahead of me. Maybe you've known this for years and I just, I was slow to catch on. But forgive me, this, this changed my life more than anything that I've ever understood. Because when you respect God and have a holy reverence for Him, it'll change what you watch on TV. Absolutely. Now I've never been a guy to, you know, watch terrible, awful things on TV, but, but at the same time, when I truly understood that it's disrespectful to God to watch some show that's just going to use his name left and right and, and throw around these loose, you know, bad words and, and have people committing adultery and all this stuff. Like, man, that's disrespectful to God. That's not right. And, and he's there. He sees it. It changed the music that I listened to. It, 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 it changed everything about me because when you fear God, before you go to make a decision and you start to feel something on the inside of you, you're like, wait, no, that that's not right. That that that's that's disrespectful to God that I, I'm his kid. That that would be embarrassing to my dad. And, you know, you don't want to embarrass your dad. Right. And, you know, you, you dads, you don't want your kids doing things that, you know, bring shame and embarrassment to you. Well, it's the same way with God. In fact, in the New Testament, I believe it's Philippians. It says, do not bring shame to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. And I'm like, wow, man. I don't want to bring shame to God's Holy Spirit. That sounds terrible. I would not, nobody wants to do that. And so when you learn to fear the Lord, it changes your life. It affects every decision you make. You're like, no, I, I can't go in there. And I, I'll say there's this one. There's, I'm not telling everybody to do this. There's this one store that I won't name that I, you know, I, I boycotted because of some decisions. That, and I was talking to somebody about that the other day. Like, I refuse to go in there. I, I will never spend one more penny at that store because they did something so disgusting in the name, you know, that, so against everything that I believe in that I will never give them one more penny of my business until the day that ever, because I, I feel that, that that's disrespectful to God, what they're doing with their money. It's totally disrespectful to God. And, and, you know, I've had chances. I was in Las Vegas one time and I wanted to go get a coffee and the coffee store that I was going to get, that it was in these people's retail store and no, but they weren't open anywhere else. I'm like, no, they may get one cent off of that cup of coffee. I can't go. I'm not going to do it. I'll just try to make my way home through the dark without any coffee. Or, you know, I'm not going to do that though. And I'm telling you, you, when you fear God, it changes the way that you live. It changes every decision that you make. And so that's why David said this was such a big deal. But look at Psalm 112, verses 1 and 2. David writes, Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Well, when you fear God, you're happy to obey his commands. You don't like no one's twisting your arm to go to church. You go because you want to. Verse two, their children, those that fear the Lord, their children will be successful everywhere an entire generation of godly people will be blessed. And so David says right here, why do you think David feared the Lord? Well, he said, man, your children are going to be blessed if you fear the Lord. You're going to be joyful. And an entire generation is going to be blessed 
because you fear the Lord. I'm like, that's that's reason enough for me right there to get some respect and honor for God right there. If nothing else, that it will that that, that it will affect my children and bless an entire generation. That's good enough reason for me. You don't have to give me anything else. If it'll affect my children's lives and bless them, I will fear God. I will respect and honor God. Absolutely. Because it'll affect their lives. And so we've got to get this in our lives that we honor God. We got to teach our children respect for God, don't we? You think they're just born with the respect for God? No. It's something that's learned. It's taught. And so David taught his children to fear God. And as I'll show you in a few minutes, Solomon really got the idea. But I was thinking about this the other day. Just minor things, minor things. But, you know, in the Bible, the Hebrew people had such a reverence for the name of God, Yahweh, that they wouldn't even spell it. They put, you know, you know what I mean? They put no vowels in this. So if you look at the actual Hebrew writing, it's Y-W-H. Y-W-Y-H. There's no, because that way you can't pronounce it, and that way you can't possibly screw it up. And so, you know how you pronounce that? That's the only way you can do that, right? That's, anyway. But, but seriously, they took the name, and so, and I was even seeing something the other day about how the guys that were, you know, writing the original scriptures back then, you know, tra- you know uh, doing the translations and everything, thousands of years ago for the Old Testament, every time they'd write the name Yahweh, They'd have to throw that pen away and get a brand new one. You know how long that would take? It would take, but that's how much they respected the name of God. So it really bugs me when I hear Christian kids go around, Oh my God! Really? I'm, I mean, I hear, I hear Christian kids, Oh my God! God Almighty! God, God, God! I'm like, seriously? You're not saying that out of praising God, you're just saying that to throw God's name out there to fill up space. That's disrespectful to the name of God. That is not fearing the Lord to use his name like that. Let's just get real. It's taking his name in vain. Let's get real. We don't talk about this stuff that often, but just throwing his name out there like that, you're not saying it out of praise. You're just saying it out of, you know, needing to fill up some space or something. That's wrong. If the people back then, you know, if they heard their kids doing that, I mean, I don't, I don't know what they would do to their kids, but <laughs> there's some pretty crazy stuff in the Old Testament law. But anyway, I mean, that wouldn't have gone over well, okay? And so we as parents, I mean, I don't let my kids go around saying, oh, my God. Like, that is wrong, man. No, you're not going to say that. No, 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 no. We don't talk like that. That's not how you use the name of our God. And, you know, another thing, man. I, if I make sure every time that I capitalize God, and if I'm writing it out, God is always, Jesus is always, if, I, if, it, if I'm just spelling, He is, I'll capitalize the H. Anything that has to do with God, even if it's not grammatically the correct English way, to, I will capitalize that all day long, because I, and maybe it's just me, but I don't want to take a chance on I, I did it wrong. You know what I mean? And so, you know, at Christmas, I capitalize the C. Always, man, I don't put an X. I, Christmas. But seriously, we've got to get some fear of God back into our lives. You know what's wrong with the world and with America? There's no fear of God anymore. You know, we, we blame other people. And it's this president, it's that president, it's this Paul. Listen, shut up. Get the fear of God back in here. Get the fear of God back in this place. And you'll start seeing some stuff change, won't you? Amen. And so 
it's all about the fear of the Lord. And it starts with even things like watching what you say, watching what you watch on TV. And so absolutely studying the fear of the Lord changed my life more than anything. And it's not because I'm afraid of God. I mean, I, I'm fully aware that it, God wouldn't do this. But if he so chose so, I mean, yeah, he could take me out in the heart. Absolutely, duh, everybody knows that. He's not going to do that. But seriously, I don't obey God because I'm afraid of him. I obey God because I love him. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So I, I don't obey God because I'm afraid that I'm going to get punished if I don't go to church. I go to church because, first of all, I love being here. But second of all, because I love God. I obey his word. I don't tithe because I'm afraid of what might happen if I don't. Like, oh, God, no, no, I'll be under the curse. No, no I, I tithe because I love God. I give I give to the poor because I love God, man. I, I, I know I, I sing worship songs because I love God. I don't raise my hands because well, I better do this or the big guy might get me. He may this may be the day that he strikes me. No, if that if you're serving God out of fear of punishment, there that eventually that won't be enough. I've seen it a thousand. I've seen people start going to church because they're in a bad spot and they're like, I got to get I better get in there to get myself out of this mess. Or I'm going to get it's going to get even worse. I be, I'm going to go to church because I don't want any more trouble. I'm going to go to church because I don't want to get punished anymore or judged. Well, that's not the reason to go. OK, the reason to do anything for God is because we love him. If you're serving him for any other reason, it eventually won't be enough to keep you on the straight and narrow. I've seen it a thousand times. A thousand times. If you're serving God for any other reason than pure love for him, it eventually won't be enough. Your human nature will kick in. Amen? Galatians 5, the lust of the flesh will kick in. You're like, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I know I, I need to be in church because it's keeping me out of trouble, but I really want to go back to this over here. This was so much fun. That, that felt good. And after a while, it's not enough to keep you out of trouble. Jesus said, if you love me, You'll obey my commandments. That's the fear of the Lord is loving God, honoring him, respecting him. And this is what we've got to teach to our kids. And this is what David taught to his son, Solomon. And so, you know, I don't tell my kids, you know, you, hey, quit doing that. God's going to get mad at you. I hear people say, no, don't say that. You know, I'll tell them, hey, listen, man, Jesus loves it when we share. Let's share. That's what Jesus loves. And I don't say, man, share, you knucklehead. God's going to get mad. He's going to judge you, man. No, don't do that. Don't be like that. We teach them to do things out of their love for God. Amen. I worked in the nursery Wednesday night. It was my it was going to be my first Wednesday night, not in youth group. Austin and Katie had officially taken over. And I'm like, I'm going to sit in a Wednesday night service and just hear the word. And then I get word that there's like a billion babies upstairs and, and, and there's not enough workers. So I'm like, you know what? I'm available. I'm able-bodied. I'm going to go up there with the babies. And it, it was awesome. It was great. The kids, they're cute. They're adorable. It's awesome. And so, I, you know, I get up there and play with the babies. And I see that they, they all, they're all facing the same crisis and dilemma in life right now. Those kids don't like to share. <laughs> it's a big deal. I'm actually your little girl. She likes to share. Her daughter does like to, she kept bringing me stuff. But and all the other kids, mine, mine, get off, psh, psh, mine. And I'm like, whoa, 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 no, 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 don't hit him, don't hit him. And, you know, after a while, there's like eleven or twelve babies and two of us. You're running, around, put that down, no, leave him alone. He, no. And so, but you're trying to teach them to, to you know, to, to share. Why? It's the right thing to do. And, and, you know, you don't share because you're going to get punished for not sharing. Share because 
you love your neighbor. You love the Lord. Amen. And so, but I thought that was interesting. Then I came down here and saw some of the adults doing the same thing. Mine, mine. No, I'm kidding. I didn't see that. All right. But some of the lessons, hey, you got, you got to learn it while you're young. All right. So absolutely. We got to teach our kids to fear the Lord. That's what David did. But the second thing we're going to say is this. And this is this is one of the main things I want you to see tonight is that David passed on his desire to always give God the best. David passed on his desire to always give God the best. And we're going to see some stuff right here. This has been very interesting for me to study this week. But David and Solomon, they always wanted God to have the absolute best of what was available. And so if David was going to do something for God, he was going to do it big and he was going to do it the right way. And so we read a few weeks ago uh, in Second Samuel, I believe it's chapter seven, maybe chapter six. But David had just conquered Jerusalem and it makes it his capital city. He builds this great big palace. It's luxurious. It's beautiful and wonderful. He sits down to finally take a breath and looks out the window and he sees the Ark of the Covenant of God outside in a tent. And he says, whoa, I'm in this palace and God's outside in a tent. That's not right. And and at that time, the Ark of the Covenant contained what was the presence of God because the Holy Spirit didn't dwell inside of people yet. That didn't come to the book of Acts. Okay, and so and so God's presence was contained in this this Ark that they had built and carried it around. And so David sits down. He's like, I'm living in a mansion And we gave God a tent out in the yard. That's not right. He said, that's it. We're going to start construction immediately on building a temple. And so and so he he gets, you know, hey, we're going to build the biggest, most beautiful, awesome temple place of worship that has ever been seen on this world for God Almighty. But something happens between then. All right. So let me show you something. Second Samuel, chapter seven. Second Samuel, chapter seven. So David wants to build God the biggest, most beautiful temple, church, whatever. You know, we say church in our modern day, but, but he wanted to build him the most beautiful place of worship that he could possibly think of. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 12 through 16. And so David tells Nathan the prophet, you know, what his plans are. But God speaks to Nathan the prophet and, and says, well, we can't do that. So Second Samuel chapter 7, let's pick it up here at verse 12. Nathan the prophet speaking on behalf of God says, For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. And so God says, David, I appreciate your heart, but you can't do it. You're not, you're not the one that I want to build that temple for me. I want your son to do it. And David, at this time, he didn't know that Solomon was going to be his successor. He had a lot of sons. It could have been Amnon, uh, Shobab, Nathan. <laughs> it could have been any of these guys. But no, but he didn't know. But all God says is, listen, you can't do it. It's got to be your son. You're not the one to do this for me. You've, you've got to do a lot of things, but this isn't your thing. And so let's keep reading. 
Verse 14, he says, I will be his father and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. And that, as we'll see in the end, that is about the biggest promise that God ever made to David or pretty much anybody ever, where he said, your kingdom, David, is going to reign forever. Your family will always be the rulers of my kingdom. And, the, and, and I mean, that's such a big deal. And so David didn't get to build the temple. His son Solomon did. And Solomon built a great, <laughs> big, fancy fancy temple and i'm going to show you about that here this is super interesting in uh uh first kings chapter six let's turn over there now i don't teach about the temple a lot because i mean we don't you know i i hear people come up and ask me questions about the temple and let's discuss the temple listen that i don't mean i don't sit there and study the temple i don't know everything about the temple but i've looked up some stuff this week and it's very interesting the detail that went into building this temple because they weren't just satisfied with, well, let's just build us a little old country church on the edge of town there. Praise God. I mean, that's praise God for that. That's awesome. But Solomon said, no, we're going to do this thing right. We're going to give this thing the absolute best that we can. And so a few things about the temple. It took seven years to build. It was three stories tall. Now, keep in mind, that's three stories is pretty good. We don't have you don't have cranes and, you know, all the stuff that we have now. They built this three story tall temple. It took seven years. The staircases within where they were winding staircases. And again, at that time, that was probably pretty even challenging architecturally wise. And and so uh, the entire interior from floor to ceiling was wood. So all the floors were wood, the walls were wood, the ceiling was wood. And they used different types of wood. The walls and ceiling were cedar, the, wood, the, the floors were cypress wood. And throughout the temple, and you can read, if you read 1 Kings 6, you can get a lot more details. I, I narrowed it down because we're not going to study all of the temple tonight. But you can read this and it's very impressive. But throughout the temple, there's beautiful carvings of, of cherub angels, palm trees and flowers, and they were all overladen with gold. But I'm going to show you here about the Holy of Holies in the temple, the most important spot, just to show you what Solomon put into this. In 1 Kings 6, verses 19 through 22, it says, He prepared the inner sanctuary the far end of the temple where the Ark of the Lord's Covenant would be placed. This is a big deal. They're not messing around here. They fear God. They fear God. This inner sanctuary was 30 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 30 feet high. The, he overlaid the inside with solid gold. He also overlaid the altar made of cedar. Then Solomon overlaid the rest of the temple's interior with solid gold. And he made gold chains to protect the entrance to the most holy place. So he finished overlaying the entire temple with gold, including the altar that belonged to the most holy place. Now, let me break down some numbers for you here. First of all, 1 Kings 10 tells us that Solomon was the richest king in the entire world. Now, different portions of scripture give us lots of details about the gold and silver that other people paid to Solomon, different things from kingdoms he, he conquered. And you can find this in several places, several places. Solomon's 
2017 net worth in our in our day and age, according to what we have from the Bible, would be two point two trillion dollars. From all the gold, I mean, that dwarfs any other rich person that we can name. And you look, study First Kings, Second Kings, Chronicles. You find that these kingdom, you know, say this guy brought him two tons of gold. This this kingdom paid him, you know, three thousand tons of silver. I mean, out of all the, it would be what we can see just from scripture would be two point two trillion dollars. He was a rich man, but check this out. If we could calculate the worth of the temple that Solomon built. In our modern currency, the temple, from what we can see in 1 Kings 6 and other places, would have cost, in our modern day, $216,603,576,000.36. I added that part. But, but overall, it would cost $216 billion overlaying this three-story building with solid gold, the, the cedar wood, the cypress wood, the chains, the, 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 the chiseling of, of, of all over the place of the cherubs and, and all this stuff. And so what really, you know, sometimes irks me is when someone's, you know, and this doesn't happen at our church, but someone, that church is trying to, they're trying to add on, you know, a, 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 why, why can't they just go cheaper? You know, they're, they're trying to, you know, they, they could get cheaper carpet than that. They, they could have got cheaper, and, you know, we, we could do it. They're just being selfish and greedy right now. Listen to me. There's nowhere written in Scripture where God said, I really wish Solomon had not gone into such detail about the temple. He, he could have cut a lot of corners and done things a lot cheaper. Now, I'm not saying we need to build a $200 billion church. We don't need that, that, that's cool, but that's not going to happen. Okay, but what I am saying is Solomon wanted to give God the best. And a lot of times we get trapped in almost a poverty mindset. We're like, well, you know, we don't want to ask for more donations for the children's ministry. I mean, yeah, that, that's that's crazy. We, we, you know, we don't want to do it up over here. That we, we could probably just get the cheap stuff. I mean, it doesn't last as long, but, but we could put those type of lights in. We could do this over here. And, I mean, this stuff only lasts five years, and the good stuff lasts 55 years. But, but let's just take the, you know. And listen, I get being frugal and everything with God's money. But let's just get real. David and Solomon always gave God the best. Always. They're like, I don't care if that costs five. This is the best stuff. This is what God gets. We don't give God bronze. We give God gold. And people at different points got in trouble for sacrificing, for, for you know, offering bronze instead of gold. And a lot of times we do that. And again, I mean, listen, we all know our, our different. I'm just saying, let's look at our hearts. That's what I'm trying to get out here. Are we giving God our best? Are we? And it, isn't it just sad that some people... I mean, they refused to even give God 10%. And here Solomon was building God a $200 billion church. And then some people are like, I don't know, again, I'm not trying to make people feel bad, but I just, I don't comprehend that. I, that doesn't compute with my mind how, how, you know, we say we love God, but we just absolutely refuse to, to even give him the minimum that the Bible talks about 10%. I don't, I don't, I don't get that. I, that doesn't comprehend with me. I don't think you fear the Lord really if, if you, you know, if you got to twist your arm. Well, I'll do it, but I just don't want to get in trouble. So yeah, I'll, I'll toss. I'll do it, but man, we're, God's twisting my arm the whole. I don't want to do it, but I will. I mean, no. If it's that way, man, keep it. God loves a cheerful giver. 
You know, it says don't give out of grudgingly or out of necessity. Man, if you can't give to God just out of the straight, pure fact that you love him, then just keep it, man. That's fine. Keep it. He understands. He doesn't want that. God loves a cheerful giver. And Solomon, nobody made Solomon do this. He wanted to do this, and he wanted to give God the best. It's amazing. Study 1 Kings 6 sometime and see the detail that he put into this. And his dad taught him to do this. He, and I can just hear David saying, son, if you're going to do it for God, you do it the right way. The first time, you do it the absolute best way. We don't, we don't, we don't cheap out on God. We don't give God leftovers. We, don't, we, don't, we give God our best in everything we do. And, you know, I've, always, I've heard some people say, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Amen? And so Solomon did it right. He did. He did. And, and, and he gave God his absolute best. And there's nowhere in the Bible where God says Solomon shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have gone through all that trouble. That was wrong. He, you know, I, I'm ashamed that he spent that much on the temple. That was no. All, all we see is that God loved the temple. God, God thought it was great. And in fact, they opened it up with a great big praise and worship service. And, and so we're going to study some of that. But God loved what Solomon did. And Solomon gave God his best because his dad taught him that. So what are we teaching our kids? Do we give God our best? Or do we give him what we feel like? And I'm not talking, you know, I'm not just talking about money here. I'm just talking about everything in life, okay? Do we give God our best? Or do we give him what's left over? Like, yeah, man, I've got extra time this week. I'll, I'll give God a few minutes. I guess I could crack open the Bible. I mean, I've got nothing else to do. Um, you know, give God five minutes. Listen, that's not right. That's not giving God your best. You know, I've got my personal conviction is that every morning starts out with God. And so before I'll do anything, this is, I'm not saying everybody has to be this way, but for me, like, you know, no coffee, no check in the weather, no check on the news, no anything until I've talked with God and read some scripture. I just want to make sure that I'm giving him number one, number first place, because he deserves it. He saved my life. I got to give him I got to give him everything I can. He doesn't deserve if I got five minutes at the end of the day and I'm, you know, well, we'll mute the TV and give God five minutes. What's that church reading list? What are they doing over there? That's not giving God your best. That's giving him your leftovers. Give him your best. He deserves it. Who thinks that God deserves your best? Amen. Well, I better get rolling here. Number three, David passed on his heart of worship. David passed on his heart of worship. And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, one of the biggest parts of who David was, was his heart of praise and worship. And have you ever noticed how what the parents are into a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times the kids, they, they take up an interest in that. You see a couple of parents that just love sports. Most of the time, the kids are like, hey, they'll get into that too. You see a couple of parents that just love music or whatever, like the kids get into that. At our house, my parents, they just love church. <laughs> my dad just loves the Bible. And so, you know, all of his kids, they got into that. It's, we love doing that. And, and, and it's because our, our, my dad taught us that. Like, we love going to church. It's we were taught that. It's what my dad loved. It was a passion of his. And so whatever, you know, you get into, man, not all the time, but most of the time, your kids are going to like that, too. And, and so David passed on this heart of worship. And as we know, throughout all the Psalms, David absolutely wrote praise and worship, praise and worship. And so when the temple was complete, they had this great big dedication service and they broke it in with this praise and worship time, man. And when the priest carried in the Ark of the Lord's, uh, the Ark of the Covenant to bring it in, the glory of the Lord filled the temple so thick 
that the priest couldn't see anything. They had to get on their hands and knees and crawl out because the presence of God in their praise and in their worship got so thick. The priest, they couldn't finish. It says they couldn't finish their priestly duties. They couldn't see anything at all because God's presence filled that place with their praise and with their worship. That's an incredible story to read in First Kings chapter eight. You can read that sometime. So I want to show you Solomon's heart of praise. Look at First Kings eight verses twenty-two through twenty-four. First Kings eight verses twenty-two through twenty-four. And so. Solomon, they, they've been praising, they've been worshiping, they've been singing and all this stuff. And then Solomon gets a chance to stand before the people. And this is their dedication. This is the grand opening of the temple, so to speak. And this is a really big deal. So First Kings 8 verse 22, it says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire community of Israel. He lifted his hands towards heaven. Is it weird to lift your hands towards heaven? It wasn't too weird for Solomon. I can do that. I mean, if Solomon could do it, it's Old Testament and New Testament. Yeah, it's cool to lift your hands to God. And so Solomon lifts his hands to heaven and he prayed, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in all of heaven above or on the earth below. You keep your covenant and you show unfailing love to all who walk before you in wholehearted devotion. Solomon is praising God. He's saying, you keep your promises. You keep your covenant. There is no one like you, God. This is praise right here with lifted hands. This is legit stuff. Verse 24, he says, you have kept your promise to your servant, David, my father. You made that promise with your own mouth and with your own hands. You have fulfilled it today. Think about what a beautiful moment this was for David, or excuse me, for Solomon, because he knew God promised his dad, your son's going to build this temple for me, and he's going to do it right. And so Solomon's praising God here, saying, you kept your word to my dad. Thank you. You keep your promises. You keep your covenant. There's no one like you in all the earth. Solomon is praising God right now. Where did Solomon learn to praise? Learn from his dad. He learned how to praise God from his dad. Where are your children going to learn to praise God? From you, right? I mean, you know, I know they don't play music on MTV anymore. I'm really old. But back when they did, you know, I never saw, like, people learning to praise God on there. Right? I never, I mean, no what? They didn't teach that. Where are your kids going to learn to praise? They're going to learn it from you. Right? And so Solomon learned to praise God from his dad, his dad passed on that legacy. If I could pass on the legacy of praise and worship to my children, there's, money can't buy that. I would rather pass that on to them than a billion dollars. I would rather pass on a love for God in God's house than to leave my children a billion dollars. Because money can't buy this. This is more important than that. You can be super rich and still go to hell. Right? In fact, Jesus said it, it, it's... it's it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to heaven. Now, we don't hate rich people. They're great and all that stuff. But, but, but for real, you can be super rich and be miserable and go to hell. But if you've got Jesus, if your parents, if you passed on Jesus to your children, oh, my gosh, that's the most beautiful thing in this world for a family to pass on Jesus to their children. And so David taught his son Solomon to fear the Lord. He taught him to give God your absolute best. If you're going to do it for God, you will do it right, son. And then he taught him to be a praiser and a worshiper. And the last thing that I'm going to say is this. This is very important for you to understand. Is that Jesus himself is a descendant of David. 
Most of you know this. But Jesus Christ is literally a descendant of David. And what did God promise to David back there in 2 Samuel 7? He said, your family, your descendants will be the rulers forever and ever. And so just to make sure God kept his promise, check this out. This is very interesting. Joseph would have been Jesus' legal father, right? We know that he wasn't biologically Jesus' dad because God Almighty is. But his legal father, which is a great big deal to Jewish people, his legal father, Joseph, is a descendant of King David. Look at the book of Matthew, chapter 1. It goes 41 generations down from David to Joseph to Jesus. And that tells me one thing. Jewish, they're the best at record keeping. 41 generations? That is crazy. I mean, if you're an American family, you can go back 10 generations. You're doing phenomenal. But they 41 generations. So Jesus is a descendant of David legally through Joseph. But Luke chapter 3 also proves that Jesus' biological mom, Mary, is a descendant of King David. Jesus is a descendant of David. God made this promise and he said, no, you, you follow me, your family, they're going to serve me forever. And even they're going to reign. They're going to rule forever and ever. And because of what David did and Solomon did, Jesus rules and reigns forever. Amen. Who agrees with that? That Jesus rules and reigns forever. And because of David's faithfulness, because of David's obedience, check this out. We're sitting in this church right now. If this wasn't a a Christian church that Jesus died for, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. I'm here because of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus rules and Jesus reigns. And, and, And check this out. Let me show you one final thing. I know I've gone a little long tonight, but check this out. One more thing. Give me this. Give me this. Look at this. I want you to look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28. Galatians 3, 26 through 28. Because does everybody in here know that you're adopted? I'm adopted. I mean, yes, I grew up in these fine people's home right here. And yes, they're my, I have their DNA. Great people. You should get to know them. They're really, really cool. They're great. But, but I'm adopted. I'm adopted into the family of Abraham, into the family of David, into the, the kingdom of God. We're all adopted. If you're a Christian, now, if you haven't received Jesus, then you're, you know, I'm sorry, you can't be part of the club. You're not, you're not one of the family. But Galatians chapter 3. Verses 26 through 28, it says this. I'm going a little bit quick here. It says, for you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So not everybody is God's children. I know some people that, well, we're all God's children. Well, if you're not born again, you're not God's children. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't, I'm not a hater. But if you haven't received Jesus, you're not one of God's children. I don't know you, man. Get up. No, I'm not, I'm not like that. But, but look at this. It says, you're all God's children through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So if you're a Christian, man, it doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl, what color you are, where you're from. It doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile. It doesn't matter. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We're the family of God and we're adopted. And guess what? Jesus is our big brother. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. No, for real. Let me show you this last verse. Last verse, I promise. In Romans eight twenty nine, But Jesus, we're all this great big family because God kept his word to David. Now, check it out. Jesus is our big brother. And you know, it's, I've got a good big brother right here. I've got a bunch of them. 
He's, he's a bearded man. Yes. So is my other big brother, Jesus. <laughs> Beards run in our family, apparently. But, but yeah, man, Jesus is the best big brother of all time. Romans 8, verse 29. It says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Jesus is the firstborn of the family, okay? You know, he's the only begotten son of God. It says that Jesus was the firstborn, but it's among many brothers and sisters. God kept his word to David. And because God kept his word to David, Jesus Christ came into this world and he saved us from our sins. And we, to this day, in Barstow, California, 2017, we're descendants of King David. We're descendants of Abraham. And Jesus Christ is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He's our big brother. God's our father. And because of what Jesus did, he made the way for all of us to have a life of peace, to have a life of joy, to have a life of healing and provision and everything else we need. It's all because of Jesus. And God kept his word to King David. And so what I want to remind us is this. It's really important what you leave to the next generation. If you're a parent, grandparent, if you like kids, anything. I mean, it's important what you leave to the next generation. It's huge. David understood this and he left the right legacy. And God said about him, I have found David, the son of Jesse. He is a man after my own heart. And in everything we've studied about David, this is my goal. I want God someday to say, this right here is David. He's a man after my own heart. He did what I asked him to do. He wasn't perfect, but he obeyed me and he followed me. And that's what all of us want God to say. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and stand up together tonight. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.